0: Good morning from Toronto. My name is Detanga Small, and you are listening to the Small World Podcast. It is 7.12 right now, and uh, I'm a bit tired, but I'm up this early for a good reason. The first guest ever on the Small World is a Europe native. Now, this upcoming guest interview is, is pretty special to me, not only because it's the first on the show, but because of the impact that this particular guest has had on my life. Now, he probably doesn't know, but because of his work, I was not only able to get to a comfortable level of Spanish, but it also improved my English as well and just helped me appreciate language more in general. He is the founder of a nonprofit project called Languagetransfer.org, which uses a unique method called the Thinking Method to help you learn languages. Now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Michalis Eleftherio to the show. Michalis? Hello. <laughs> hey. Um, so the first thing I want to ask was something uh, that you actually corrected me on before when I was doing my research. Uh, I had thought that you were born in uh, in Cyprus, but uh, you corrected me and said that you were born in England. Um, so I just want to know a little bit more about that. Uh, which part of England were you born in and were you born and raised there
1: yeah well actually i was born in the biggest cypriot city of the world which is london <laughs> there, are, there are more there are more cypriots in in london than than in the capital of cyprus and that's got a lot to do with the division of cyprus with cyprus as a british colony until the 60s so yeah i was born in the well in the outskirts of london uh, around ilford if, if anybody knows it or uh, near the gans hill station on the, on the troop map and yeah I grew up there and this is this place is like a mixture of diasporas you know so at my school there were 30 kids and I think uh, four or five were from England. It, I don't know <laughs> if it was really England you know England in a, in a lot of ways is really a kind of a foreign curious country to me because the part I lived in was you know quite quite odd.
0: I, I feel like that's uh, that's a commonality around Europe though like for example uh, when I lived in Brussels, the area that I was living in was uh, was predominantly Moroccan and Turkish.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's a, it's an interesting thing, especially on the level of identity and especially with the way Europe has dealt with the whole racism phenomenon, which has been like to, to kind of invisibilize it, you know, and pretend it's not there, which is all coming out now. So I think it was a really interesting time to grow up because you had all of this mixture and you didn't you know it was i didn't know anything about the british empire until i left england you know so you didn't really have any consciousness of how you ended up there you had this uh, rhetoric that racism is wrong because you know we're too good for that to be
0: racist and i don't know it was beyond that it's it's interesting that you mentioned that um talking about identity because you were born to to two cypriot parents that's correct
1: I mean because my mom was born in England but also she was like really in the in the separate diaspora my father was born in Cyprus but went to England very young so
0: so did they raise you under uh, Cyprus's languages, uh, uh, Turkish and Greece?
1: Greek? Which is really, uh, like, the, the the really interesting point, and I guess I decided to waffle about it because it has a lot to do with the project. I mean, I grew up speaking English. My parents spoke Cypriot between themselves sometimes, and they spoke English to us. They didn't really see the, the value in the language, and I think there was a big sense of cultural inferiority as well to relate back to Cyprus and the villages, and to be in backwards and all of these things that that you know these farming families felt when they went to London so there was this uh, strange situation of me being a child like asking me asking please speak to me in greek you know and like the parents not doing it which i think is like usually the other way around no and on top of that I, you know i grew up being told i was greek which you know, I didn't really understand how I was Greek, but we were from Cyprus, but there was a lot of things I didn't understand about the world when I was a child. So it's just one of those things you go like, okay, yeah, uh, Santa Claus, whatever, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it was like kind of, it was, it was kind of confusing because, you know, you grow up in this place, for example, you have a native English accent, which I don't have too much now, but I did. And people still say, where are you from? And what they mean is, where are your parents or your grandparents from? And you understand that. And at the same time, there's all this that kind of anti-racism rhetoric, you know, And but at the same time, you're not from there, but you are. But you know nothing about where you're from, because part of the whole anti-racism movement was to, like, invisibilize all of that and not talk about it. So, you know, not being racist turned into, like, ignoring the fact that you're black, rather than uh, dealing with the situation of having, like, okay, you know, so many different cultures coming together in a new host country, you know, and dealing with all of the different elements that might come from that, also from, like, the history of each person's individual place, how much they know about that, because a lot of people ended up being born in England through not very nice stories, you know. So, I don't know. I kind of feel like there was always this emphasis on, like, we're not racist here because we're too good to be that, and then, you know, everybody else should be kind of thankful for their place in this society rather than hold on i ended up here because you colonized (laughs) well actually i shouldn't have this feeling of apology and you know i feel like you know part of the work of language transfer is to understand that there are no uh, kind of homogeneous cultures and languages and racism we all built of each other and i feel like i mean i feel like this is really relevant with what's happening in the world right now we need to understand ourselves as that mix no one actually knows where the word race comes from i've been researching this etymology and the thing that most convinces me is it comes from the word ratio which is showing that actually there are no races it's just different ratios of different things and it's this vision of the world you know and even the way we look at languages you look at a country and you see german and you say Ger- you see Germany and you say German, and then you see the Netherlands and you say Dutch. But really, that's a fantasy. That doesn't exist. The only thing that exists are dialects. And if you move from the east of Germany and across Germany and going to Holland, you will just f- see those dialects slowly, slowly changing, becoming what you call Dutch, and then moving something away from it, becoming the next language. And the same is w- with race, you know. And I feel like there was there's a huge ignorance about this, on the, just because of the way we look at the world, and when it comes to like situations like that, which I was born in, in the diaspora, it was just really handled in a in a terrible way. And I think the the way to handle like uh, immigration is is to share. You know, okay, so you're gonna have a whole bunch of people coming from another place. This could be problematic. Of course, it could be problematic. The left don't want to say that because it's something you know. Uh, like that they're scared of going near you know and then from the right you're not really getting anything constructive and there's nobody saying like of course it can be a problematic situation you need to do things to get these people connected you need to get them in community centers sharing recipes and telling stories about where they're from and you know and having like a real cultural interaction and the government has never taken that on board You know, so you're just okay, you're born in a new place, uh, you don't know why, you don't know, especially if you were born in an area with a really high level of cultural poverty like I was. You know, we didn't have a good education, we didn't have good cultural exposure, you know, only to like television and stuff like this. So you really grow up in a situation not knowing anything about yourself. And for me, language transfer was kind of this, it started in this kind of personal journey, trying to find out more about myself somehow. And then I realized quite soon that I was really boring and uh, <laughs> the only thing that could be good for is using myself as an experiment to understand the rest of humanity, let's say. And in the last 10 years, I've been doing that. The, the, the feelings I've had and the uncomfortable feelings I've had about like where I grew up and the way things were, suddenly it's, it's now forefront on the, on the political arena in the west you know because you had all of this uh, racism erupting after the brexit vote uh, you you have the all of the issues with the trump campaign and possible future presidency i still don't believe it's going to happen yeah so i kind of feel like we're getting a point now where we can start looking at those kind of mistakes that were made and maybe also look at other projects or organizations that kind of wanted to deal with it in the way the government maybe should have been doing
0: so just to expand on that, with with such a a rich history for the ways that certain immigrants have have reached uh, England, for example, you know, not, not a lot of it was glamorous, and that history is not something that that disappears. It's always going to stick around. So, in what way can that be talked about in a way where I guess forgiveness can be taken into account, or just the entire of uh, moving past? the history if that's possible even
1: but this is the thing for me it sticks around but it sticks around in a totally invisible way so you are a complete victim to it because okay so for example speaking about even my own situation how my parents didn't speak to me in greek because of that sense of cultural inferiority so that's stuck around but it's stuck around in a totally invisible way you know or i mean my mind is flooding now with examples of the way that hangs around in a negative way and what i really believe in is not finding an identity that suits you uh, or, or inventing one let's say not inventing an identity that suits you but discovering it and just celebrating what is because what we are is just a beautiful precise product of everything that was so you know i don't want to be told about the the british colony in cyprus so i can get angry no <laughs> but so that actually i can be relieved of this sense of oh i don't belong here and i should actually be appreciative that that I'm I'm allowed to be here and that people aren't racist to me because they're better than that, which the truth is that as the result of political ignorance in the UK, that the UK has been able to treat the rest of the world in a certain way. And I think that the diaspora is a huge unspoken power in the UK that can actually have this sense of empathy towards other places in the world and say, hey, no, this country needs to sort out its foreign policy because, you know, when I left the UK, I mean, I really wasn't happy in the UK. And when I left, i didn 't think about it, and wasn't really interested and you know and now that i 'm older, I really appreciate the country on uh, on a lot of levels and also what was gained there politically through worker movements and women 's movements in the u k you know and a lot of what was fought there was won there and had repercussions all over the world. but since then it's been won back, let's say you no, know? and when I say one back, I mean by the ideology of you know a very kind of authoritarian austere government uh, without getting into too, what we have you know? <laughs> uh, What what I think is that the it's very disempowering the lack of awareness that we have over our own stories and then when you look at you know the amount of people for example, especially when like religion and religious Extremism can come into it. that are more religious than their parents and more religious than their grandparents that are born in places like France or whatever you know more conservative or whatever and this is about for me a lack of a lack of identity something's really going wrong in the free world you now if you have people that are coming from cyprus from egypt from iran to live freer and then their children in many cases uh reject that like i mean for me this is a fascinating situation and you know i've, I've seen it on the front lines for a really long time i watch the leftist rhetoric about the whole situation and it really angers me because i feel like it's just about lip service uh, sleep service and what is kind of fashionable in regards to political views you know nobody's talking about you know i'm the children of immigrants and i'm saying immigration is a complicated thing that needs to be done in the right way but you know just saying that can automatically get the left on their guard, That say, you know, when I've tried to participate in other movements and speak from a real kind of practical, real life experience, you know, like, I don't think people are necessarily bad, because they don't want their towns to be overrun with immigration. I don't think that makes them bad people. I think it's just really understandable. You grow up somewhere, you grow up knowing where you live, knowing the people around you, and then, you know, a place can get uh, overwhelmed, you know? So this is all about the way it's done. It's not about all borders, no borders, you know, all the way right or all the way left. It's about doing things properly, assimilating people, uh, or, 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 you know, like... Some places can have more cultural diversity because of what they're used to and they like it. Other places maybe need a little bit at a time and they also need, you know, like real projects on the ground to get people sharing so you don't have these situations where you just have communities that are like completely separated. And, you know, also when that happens, the children suffer. So like us, you know, because we have... OK, so if you get like a big Turkish diaspora, for example, you know, which is a lot of uh, grandparents that left in the 40s from a village, you know, and they have really conservative ideas, which they pass on to their children, which then they pass on to the next generation. And then you're growing up in Germany, you know, which has a whole different set of ideas. Uh, this is really difficult, I feel, for for people growing up in the diaspora. And that for me is because the whole way immigration was done wasn't done correctly because it wasn't done from that humanitarian perspective with with under which it sold it was done because they wanted the cheap labor and you know it was an industrial thing it wasn't a humanitarian thing but it was just justified from that way so you have a whole population that they're just being told grow up and deal with it if you don't like it, it is because you're a racist and that's not true And then they they also project that onto the society by saying, you know, okay, everybody that voted Brexit is a racist and that's not true. My mum voted Brexit, for example, and her reason was, you know, I think we really just got to make an effort. And if we feel like we're by ourselves, we'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, for me you know, this is a very, very, very complicated uh, area. There's not a lot of good discussion going on. And, you know, a lot of things that I say might make people feel kind of uncomfortable, but at the same time you can see who I am and what I'm doing, you know. I, I I feel like, you know, all human culture is just one thing, like a rainbow is one thing, and we're all just somewhere on the spectrum, but all the colors are a mix of all of the colors, you know. And I think it's an amazing, beautiful thing to investigate and see what happened and to look at what we are aiming to do in our modern societies which is kind of unnatural if we look at what we are as animals and what our reaction is as animals and you know we need to learn a lot we really need to learn a lot and i don't think we have the resources politically educationally
0: and socially to do it which is why we're in this exciting mess at the moment (laughs) exactly well that's that's very interesting um because you talked about the the fact that you know immigration is complicated, and that you know not everybody who who doesn't want immigrants in their in their hometowns or their home countries are necessarily bad people. That just makes me think. Uh, because you left England, where did you go from there, and to what country were you an immigrant uh, to?
1: So you know, I'm really gonna expose expose my soul here. So. You know, my whole life I just wanted to be like everybody else. To be honest, I just wanted to fit in. Um and I couldn't for many reasons because you know, at one part for one part I was a very conservative child that adored and listened to every word from the parents like gospel. I was a religious child in a, in an orthodox a Christian orthodox family and I prayed all the time and all of this. And but I guess i just i just had questions you know i was a very sincere person so when my questions couldn't be answered when the contradictions of the society couldn't be answered when okay if this is like that that's like that and you know and that doesn't make sense you know that that was how i really i really started to change but to be honest i really just wanted to fit in so when i i went to university i started to study law because i mean i was a really naughty kid i was a really bad kid and uh, until I went, I left school early and went to college to do the A-levels, which is what you do before university, because I wanted to be around older people. And that kind of sorted my attitude out a bit, and I did really well at them. And I did law because that was just the hardest thing to do. And really, I just wanted to get to university to move out of home. I wasn't really thinking about anything. And then this university was an international university. And then I was when I realized, oh, my God, I feel more comfortable, you know, around people that are, like, I mean, from other parts of the world that kind of have a lot more to do with like where my family is from and stuff like that. But I wasn't ready either to kind of investigate anything about Cyprus because also I also have a bit of family trauma. I needed to grow up and get my head around. So in my landri- language degree, I started studying Spanish and I completely hid. I just hid in Spanish. And it's what I needed at that time of my life. And, you know, I was just it was a really international university. So I was practicing Spanish all the time. Then I went to do my year abroad in Cuba, which is relevant at the moment. I don't know if you saw that Fidel Castro passed away. I did. A day or two ago.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, anyway, so, and then I was supposed supposed to spend a year in Cuba. And in a short time, I decided I'd seen everything that I... I needed to see after a few months. And I, I I ran away. I literally ran away. I had to kind of fake a document to get out of Cuba. <laughs> and I went to Argentina. And I was kind of off the clock then because my university thought I was in Cuba, which I shouldn't be saying really, but I, I don't I don't care very much. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I, there, that was really actually the whole thing about the language degree and the, the year abroad. You know, everyone was just doing year abroad, but I was looking for the home. I was always aware that I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to stay in England. You know, I needed something else also very culturally. There's a lot of cultural habits in England that I always found really difficult as a kid, being really a Mediterranean kid, you know, in the way that I spoke and stuff, which doesn't go down very well with kind of British manners and formality. And, and I didn't understand what was going wrong for a very long time in trying to interact with people. So I don't know, Spanish kind of totally absorbed me. And when I was in Argentina, I wasn't looking to travel. I was just looking to live somewhere somewhere. You know, so I I did the rest of my year abroad there and also the time away. I went back to England for like eight months to finish up the degree. And I went back to Argentina, you know, so I emigrated, you know, no money, anything. I had to find a job. It was like a one-way flight. I had to get married to stay there. And, you know, like, so it was a really different experience. And in Argentina, I was totally assimilated, you know, Uh, I had like a perfect accent, Uh, you know, even when I was leaving, and my neighbors were like, why are you nervous? Have you never taken a, a, a plane before? And I was like, well, how did I get here? Like nobody ever thought to ask me where I was from, you know. And I needed that. I needed to be part of something else. And when I was, shortly afterwards, you know, there was a time in my life when I lost my religion between 11, 12, 13. You know, where there was just questions that nobody could answer. And there was like, this happened again for me. And that was after being assimilated in Argentina, much more than I was in England, more than I'd been anywhere. And then the whole culture just falling away, losing culture in the same way that you lose your religion, that you realize it's just a set of learned things and that you will always be a victim to it until you can rise above your culture. until you can realize, okay, I'm like this because of that. And I can change it. You know, like we are the only animal as far as we know, that has the consciousness of their consciousness. You know, that we can say, oh, I'm like this because of that. Oh, I can reprogram myself. And that was a big thing that happened to me in Argentina. And then I went to Cyprus because part of, you know, that looking to fit into something somewhere else was deleting the past. And going to Cyprus wasn't like, oh, okay, I'm a Cypriot. I'm going to find that identity. It was more kind of like, okay, you know what, even if the lessons that they teach you are not the ones you want to learn, the school is the school. And my school was, you know, that, and I want to go and learn more about it. So, like, I mean, like I said at the beginning, it kind of started in this very kind of self-consuming, you know, like finding out, discovering yourself, all of that crap they tell you about taking your year abroad and discovering yourself. And then, you know, when... I realized that about culture, just using myself in an experiment, seeing myself change in different places, seeing people change in different places and just understanding humans as an animal, a really complicated one. And I don't know, this kind of, this really, really changed my outlook for so many things, gave me a hell of a lot of peace, you know, because uh, I think you can tell in the way that I talk about things, I'm very peaceful about it all. I, don't, I can't even remember what
0: question you asked me now. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That was uh, I mean, I think that covered the, the entire story aspect, too. I had no idea that you lived in Argentina.
1: Yeah, I was. I, was, uh, I mean, when I was living in Argentina, I never thought I was going to go. I remember even once saying to my... I used to play violin and I was playing uh, like these student orchestras and stuff. And, and I remember saying to my friends, you know, who knows, one day maybe I would just say, oh, I lived a few years in Argentina. And it would just be a sentence and I never thought it would have happened you know I mean I think there is always these two battling parts in me that just one that wants to be of the crowd you know and feels part and feels one and whatever and then this other one that that has like a rationality and an intelligence that kind of contradicts it and and you know, and I started to learn a lot of things about people and our psychology and how some, some stories we believe them because they suit us and other ones that we don't. And I fought very long and very hard with myself to have a very kind of plain, maybe, and extreme at the same time, sincerity with myself and living in another language was so 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 important for that because you could become like a baby again and whilst i was doing all of this i was working in ngos like so i was an activist since i was a child even though i didn't know what the word was this is another story and uh, i I kind of formalized it a little bit more when i was at university and heard learned what right and left meant politically which i learned when i was 19 you know and and um, so in, in argentina i was working for ngos And from the inside, I I realized, okay, you know, there's one of them was like McDonald's, but an NGO version. And anyway, this without going into too much detail, this made me realize I wanted just to work by myself and where to start was to offer what most changed me. So the experience of language learning and learning a language in a way and digesting a language in a way that you really can live in it like a native uh and this is you know you don't get this just by going uh, going through a course you get this by taking all of the ideas and the considerations and the way of looking at language through going through the course and continuing to do that i mean that was such a big life changer for me like a shedding of skin and i kind of figured that the best uh, activism i could do for now would be to share that you know and it all started in cyprus when i went back to cyprus and started doing this with the Greek. And Turkish courses, so I learned Greek and Turkish whilst in Cyprus to teach them.
0: <laughs> what I find interesting about that is that, I mean, I mean, I have a personal opinion about about language that I, I hope most people can agree with, which is that there's there's something beautiful about being able to communicate with somebody in their own language. Um, when I when I lived in Spain, I was able to uh, speak in Spanish for a majority of the time with with native spanish speakers and i felt that the connection with the people was uh, was a lot more deep than it could have been if i uh, made them speak english to me um so I, I i guess my question here is language language has changed your life but it, how, how do you think knowing other languages impacts a person's life
1: you know i think that uh, your language is i think one of the most important things that i've realized and also that helps me write courses better than faster now is that you don't think in language that's a lie and it's just our complete ignorance of what language is that makes us think we think in language what happens is thought and then you transcribe that thought into language different languages allow you different things different interpretations to transcribe that thought into and that replays back into how you see the world So, wow, you know, like when you really get into using a language every day, you have to change to interpret the world through that language. Whether it's something like, you know, perceiving things as ser or estar, the two verbs that you have for to be in Spanish, depending on what kind of be it is, you know. Or whether it's just about some expression or a piece of vocabulary that, that describes a feeling that you don't have in another language now in another language you can use a whole bunch of words to describe that feeling but when you have one word for it then it becomes part of the cultural reproduction so your language really feeds into you I think like talking emotionally and how you feel as a person and also with problem-solving your language plays a big part now I've made eight courses uh, for different languages and a lot of the time I just feel like I'm sat in the middle and they're all going on on the outside and they somehow You know, there is thought that is governed by language, that you're thinking in language, but then there's thought that's not. And somehow that thought that's not governed by language, I don't know, I kind of feel smarter somehow, like, but my brain is a computer, like it can somehow solve problems better uh, just because I've learned the structures of all of these different languages. That's quite something quite hard to put your finger on as well, but it's something you can feel, you know, it really does... Make you create a whole lot more structures in your mind and i and i, I feel like they're not just there for language that they're being used for a whole bunch of other stuff too
0: so so um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that was a good answer that was that was exactly what I was looking for um but it, it's it's sort of funny because I'm a business i'm I'm in business i've I've worked within within marketing um I've studied business and the first thing I thought. When I saw uh, just the, the the amount of courses that you had and your ability to speak other languages and just to actually learn another language. I believe you learned Swahili uh, before uh, in order to to make the course or or how did that work? I
1: should say because, you know, this, this makes me sound great and everything. But it's not really about my ability to learn a language, it's about my ability to teach it. So Swahili, I've never had a conversation in Swahili before because I've, ne- I've not used it, you know. Uh, so I, I, I've studied the grammar, I think how I put the course together, I listen to natives, like different sources, movies, videos, whatever, and then I have the native speaker checkers to make sure that everything is correct which they are there whilst i'm writing i have them to ask questions to on skype or whatever but really it's about teaching it you know when uh, somebody should do the course and then they themselves can take themselves to that fluency now like i had to make a lot of work for what for spanish but it wasn't work like hard work sitting and memorizing it was just thinking all the time analysing all the time, from curiosity. Oh, why is this like this? Why is that like that? And when you learn a language not through memorization, but from real digesting every little piece and understanding why and where and how it's there and what it's doing, you know, you really have that ability to analyze and that's what gets you to the whatever level you are excited enough to get to. I don't I really don't feel like I have any extraordinary ability for language learning and that's what i want to show with the project as well like anybody can do it you just have to want to do it but you know i did three months of intensive spanish at university and i think if i had any ability i would have noticed during those first three months <laughs> where i couldn't say you know i was like yo i started on you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I find that interesting because you know a lot of people say that that in order to if you're able to teach something that means you've mastered it so this kind of kind of says no to that
1: i feel like i've mastered teaching languages (laughs) it's like you know it's 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 a language language is a thing of use and life and and practice and you know uh it's just me running the entire project doing all of these different languages i wish i had you know a year to make each just one language and i could just hang around and practice it all the time but it's not the case so you know what i do is i get the entire structure and a lot of you know like the entire structure of the language in your mind in a way that makes sense with a good basic vocabulary and then the idea is that you go out into the world and do the rest you know but doing the rest is literally just you know as long as you are considering along in the audio where you're led to consider and think about things and consider the points being discussed you know you just go out in the world and you consider doing this and from the conversational level that you have when you finish the course and that analytical mindset then it all depends on your enthusiasm if you just want to you just want to be kind of like uh, conversational if you just want to be fluent if you want to sound like a native and you don't want an error anywhere you know
0: yeah so considering all of that why the non-profit route? I feel that if, if you, uh, with this kind of ability to teach languages, you could probably do it within a university or within another so, organization.
1: The, the other reason, you know, I, I do this project the way I do, and the, way, the reason it's a project and not an organization and all of this, and the way I speak <laughs> the way I do is because I really, really, really hate in the world the division between the professional self and the personal self. And it is the, it is the culprit of a lot of ills in this world. You know, that we have something that is acceptable as the professional self when you put your suit on and you're being paid and other things that you would do in your life as a human. And I don't, I don't understand the, the rationality behind that division. And again, for me, you know, if you look at the current state of the world and what business and industry does to the planet that sustains our life, then, you know, you can see where I'm going. So for me, uh, what I really want with language transfer as well as sharing what I want to share, I mean, because I could have, you know, gone the publishing route and all of that, is my freedom and my independence as a human and sharing my human experience and then uh, something else It's great, you know, because, I mean, for, uh, for me, whatever we learn in life kind of, you know, for it really to have a real effect, I think it has to feed back into our spiritual problem. And our spiritual problem is that we are this super intelligent animal with all of these questions, And we don't have the culture to have the humility just to say, oh, I don't know the answers to those questions. So then we get, you know, all of these cultural products like that that inhibit thought. And for me, it's a very complicated, um, I mean, I like not to participate in any of that, just to be like, look, it's all there, it's free, you can help me create it if if you want to. Uh, You know, I don't have to answer to any funding organizations. I don't ask for funding There is an ability to commission a course But when you commission a course your logo doesn't go anywhere You're commissioning the course just because you want it and that's what happened to Swahili, you know The people that commission Swahili, they did like all the courses that are online. They love it. Uh, They're convinced I'm a genius (laughs) They've been working (laughs) in education for a very long time. They're from the US. They work in the Southeast of Africa and this is actually Black Swan Learning, you know, so I have no problem to say who did it, you know, but they didn't do it to get their logo on the website or to get a mention in the audio because it's not there. Language transfer is independent. And also because it's my work plus everybody that helps. So it's just me full time plus all of the users that help. So maybe an Italian that did the Spanish course helps proof the Italian, et cetera, et cetera. This project belongs to them. So... Whatever you read on the website, you're going to read, we, we, we. And it's not because I'm lying. It's because language transfer is not just me. It's the people that uh, donate. It's the people that give their time to volunteer and all of that. And I really, really like that it's just this free, independent project that I can just be a human being. And also, you know, that I can show a different value system. Like I value my time. I value having freedom to do my work, uh, how and when I want it to just make the best courses rather than making the courses that might sell best, which is not necessarily the best courses, you know, to have that complete freedom uh, and non-division between a professional and a human self when one is considering their input into the world, because, you know, the way you sustain yourself shouldn't just be about sustaining yourself. It should be about ideally, you know, what you're inputting into the world. So for me as well, it's a uh, activism in that way as well, like the way that I've, decided
0: to do it if that makes sense it does so considering everything that you just said what is the best case scenario for you and language transfer and do those two well with with whatever you consider the success of language transfer um Mm -hmm. would the success of uh of that project um tie directly into uh maybe something of your personal success or is there something else that you benchmark for yourself that you want to succeed on You know, I
1: don't really care a lot about success. I care about being happy. I believe that, you know, again, it's one of these values that we've learned and it's one of the values that made me do a law degree and, uh, you know, get really depressed and then change to languages after one year, uh, which was a hard decision to make with the value system that I had. And what is success? I mean, like, for me, you need to be happy and you need to shut all of the voices out telling you what you need to do and what you need to be. And I know it sounds like something you would read on a fridge magnet in a hippie's house, Mm -hmm. but... (laughs) There's a voice inside just telling you to share X, Y, or Z, telling you to do X, Y, or Z, and that's all I'm doing, and that's led to a lot of good things in my life. You know, hushing the the other voices, telling me to seek uh, affirmation from the outside, because, like I said, you know, I, I have this as well. I really feel it inside. My ego wants to be strong, and I want to be told, "Michalis, you're wonderful. We love you." You know, but uh, just getting rid of all of these really strong influences and just conforming only with my rationality, you know? So, okay, language transfer is a project I've done. I've also been involved in um, other things like movements of occupations, like we occupied the Green Line that divides Cyprus. There was a time I was really interested in this kind of movement. I feel like language transfer should, at hopefully one point, just tick by itself and I I have something else to give, you know? I, I feel like language transfer is just... A phase hopefully and I don't that means I want it to continue but without me so a part of the the, the the publications thing that's happening so you know people can support uh, the monthly crowdfunding campaign which is on patreon.com forward slash language transfer when we get to the $800 a month milestone then I then people can also vote for publications like currently only audio courses are voted for and one of the top publications is about the thinking method so I want to write a book and how to write courses even in your native language or in a language you want to learn so I, I also believe that the quickest way to learn a language is one of the language transfer courses and the second quickest way is to write a course in <laughs> for language transfer in a language you don't know i really think that is the best way to learn a language if the course doesn't exist and i would like to take a step back have other people writing and designing and recording the courses i'm also quite sick of editing my own voice as you can imagine And and give something else. I I feel like from you know whatever you give uh, as an activist or whatever needs to come from your personal experience rather than what's learned as what's right and wrong in kind of fashionable shifts. And you know I've I've had a, a colorful life. I feel like you know there's a lot of other elements that. I need to draw from, but again, like I say, it's not feeling like should or wanting to do more so I can create more and feel better. It's just from the voice inside that has something to say.
0: I would love to expand on this more, and I hope (laughs) I can get you on a a show in the future. Uh, But I think at this time, I only have time for one more question. So I'm gonna ask something a bit cheeky. What's your favorite language? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Arabic. Arabic? Should I elaborate? <laughs> yeah. Uh, where did you learn Arabic? Why do you sound so shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. It's because you mentioned that you were in Argentina and Cuba, so you learned Spanish. You you, you grew up in, in the UK, so you knew you know, English.
1: It's so, so much part of my, myself. Also, you know, I was 19 when I started to Spanish, study Spanish, and it's so much part of myself that I don't, it just feels weird to even say I like it. Does it make sense? Like, it's not exciting for me anymore. <laughs> it's uh, I've been living in Spanish for a long time, you know. It's affected a lot my English accent. But Arabic, the reason I love Arabic is, well, actually, you know, if you're an English speaker, uh, you already half speak Latin. That is a big thing about the Spanish course to understand. So, you know, you can really have a, quite a good native feeling with Spanish. And also it depends on your idiolect, your your, your personal individual dialect and you know my friends always used to joke about the way i used to speak when i was younger i was always using a lot of latin words so i don't know it kind of feels very familiar and also because of this when i was learning spanish vocabulary wasn't a big focus for me it was more about the changes in structure and morphology because a lot of the vocabulary was just so familiar from english or latin english so when I started to look at really different languages, then the whole concept of vocabulary became much more a thing. You know, I had to look much more at how vocabulary was built. And this in Arabic is fascinating. Can I break it down quickly? Of, course. Arabic. of course. So, in, in, everybody's heard the word Habibi, I guess, which means like my dear or my love or my my friend or whatever. Ha, ba, ba are the three sounds in Arabic that have got to do with liking and loving. So, you have different patterns to put ha, ba, ba in. And then you get different words that are related to that. So, mahbub means loved or popular, hob just means love. Safara is for traveling. It's where we get safari from, which actually came into English for Swahili, but it's Arabic. Or the one that's most recognizable, maybe, for people, s-l-m, which has to do with peace and submission, uh, which build the words Muslim, Islam, salam, like when people say, salam alaikum. No. And those Sullah sounds are related to peace and submission. Now the reason I love this language talk so much is because for me it's fascinating to build vocabulary in that way, to have a set of free sounds that relate to a meaning and then put them in different patterns which which are uh, you know which you can find throughout the language to get different types of words. And also because of the fact that sometimes you get two meanings with one set of sounds. So Sullah Uh, which is related to both peace and submission, for me is fascinating. For me, a lot of of the time, language has an inherent wisdom in the way it builds vocabulary and it makes you consider certain things which you might agree with or you might not agree with. And especially understanding us as animals and watching the dogs, you know, I live in the middle of the forest (laughs) here and, you know, and seeing how similar we are to them and seeing this relationship between submission and peace, for example, you know, it uh, was like, wow, a really big eye-opener. So I don't know, for me, partly because of the way the vocabulary is built and also because these roots come with two meanings often that, that you have to think about if they are related and what is the idea behind it. I just find it really exciting. And also, just one more thing, uh, the sounds in Arabic, whilst it might sound quite harsh so, uh, spoken, uh, that makes it really fun to speak. And sung, it sounds so beautiful. And when you sing Arabic, the sounds have such a different quality. And I just, I don't know, I really love the language.
0: I think you might have convinced me to explore Arabic as the next language I learn.
1: For so real. I mean, this thing about the root system for me is just absolutely fascinating. Any Semitic language, so Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, please check that before you publish it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's Semitic. Or well, maybe it's not. Maybe Aramaic is a simple family. Um, anyway, they have this root system that is really fascinating.
0: Mihalis, thank you uh, for spending this time talking with me about this. Um, I hope I can get you on the show again because I know there's a lot. <laughs> I know I feel I feel like I just hit the tip of the iceberg on, on yeah, your story. Yeah, I really
1: sorry as well for my incoherence. You know, because uh, sometimes you feel like you have to go into something so deeply and you try to summarize, and then you're like, oh my god, am I even saying anything? So you might have a bit of an editing problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, thank you. Um, and seriously, have a good time wherever you are thank you you too man all right have a good one you too ciao ciao thank you everybody for tuning into the first episode of the small world podcast if you want to know more about my guest feel free to visit languagetransfer.org in order to find some free courses that are going to help you take your language abilities to the next level and for me if you're interested just stick around Subscribe to my SoundCloud channel. I post updates as often as I can, and there's going to be some cool new interviews coming up. Until next time, I look forward to seeing you. Take care.